Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show. My name is Tim Seckler, owner of the Seckler Law Firm, now in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania, where great families make great estate plans. Uh, if this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. Uh, if you are a long-term listener, welcome back. What we do on this show is I teach you the things I think you need to know on how to make an effective estate plan for yourself, your money, your family, how to preserve your legacy, how to not lose your money to uh, unfortunate issues like taxes or long-term care expenses or creditors' rights. Uh, you work hard for your money. You should keep your money. And when you're done with your money and there are leftovers, we need to get it to your uh, friends and family, however you see fit. Uh, so that is our objective. Uh, and uh, that seems to be most of our clients' objectives. Uh, and how we're going to do that is we are going to um, do quality estate planning. So last week, if you listened to the episode last week, we had uh, I, I did a quick discussion on irrevocable trust and my, why you might want to consider uh, an irrevocable trust as part of your estate plan. And we got some questions after last week's show, and I wanted to clarify it a little bit. And then depending on where that gets us time-wise, I do want to talk about some nursing home crisis strategies, uh, a nur uh, uh, nursing home crisis strategies, what occurs when somebody hasn't planned appropriately. They end up in a nursing home setting and are trying to preserve assets at that point in time. Different techniques, different strategies, different opportunities uh, that we can employ at that point in time. Before I get into the technical stuff, remember, this show is for your education, your entertainment. Uh, it is not for you to go out and make legal de uh, technical decisions on your own. Okay, I may say something on this show that is uh, that requires a certain set of facts to be true, and your fact pattern may not fit nicely into it. It might not be the right thing for you to do. Estate planning, elder law work is not self-help. Save the self-help, do-it-your-stuff uh, work for the things you can buy at Home Depot or Lowe's. Do not do do-it-yourself estate planning. This world is just a little bit too complicated for that. All right. So last week I was chatting about um, irrevocable trust. And I made a couple of points and we got some questions on them. And, and so I want, I want to dive into each of these points in a little bit greater detail so that I can help you understand uh, sort of why these things, these these types of trusts might apply for you. So uh, taking a step back, a trust in general is an arrangement where you appoint somebody uh, named a trustee to uh, to essentially manage an asset or a set of assets uh, to your satisfaction. So you are the creator of the trust. The person in control of this trust, once you have established it, is called the trustee. And the people who can have access to the assets in the trust, well, those people are called beneficiaries. Now, some trusts are revocable. Revocable trusts are something that we do quite a bit in our law firm. Uh, but the idea is the creator of the trust, if you create a revocable trust, you are probably both the trustee of the trust and the beneficiary of the trust, which means you maintain all the control and all the access. And once you put your stuff into the trust, things kind of go back to normal. So why do people do them? Well, yeah, there are a number of reasons, but the primary reason that revocable living trusts uh, are used are to avoid the courthouse uh, and the probate process once you pass away. One of the things that uh, the uh, the coronavirus shutdown of last year taught me was um, 
it was not a great time to be stuck in uh, the court system of any of any type of case, civil, criminal, uh, estates. Things just stopped. They stopped for weeks on end. Cases were not progressing, and so in the estate world. And what I do, people's inheritances and people's ability to make decisions regarding their finances just slowed down and uh, and got delayed because we were on the court's calendar. And I think one of the takeaways from that, and if we could anticipate future breakdowns due to natural disasters or other viruses or political breakdown or whatever the case may be, I don't want my family's well-being tied to a calendar that is outside of my own. Uh, and so that's one reason uh, avoiding probate. Sometimes there's tax reasons. Sometimes there's second marriage reasons why we might consider a revocable trust. But what I want to talk about really is an irrevocable trust, a not revocable trust. Now, when people hear the word irrevocable trust, they kind of freak out. They kind of think that the word irrevocable means permanent. They think it means that it cannot be changed, which is not what the word means. An irrevocable trust is a trust that by its terms cannot be revoked by the person who created it. Okay, so if I create my own trust, I put my stuff in the trust, I can't one day on my own decide to terminate that trust and I have my stuff back. It is not revocable, but that doesn't mean I have to give up total control. And that doesn't mean I have to give up total access. And that doesn't mean it's permanent. All right? So an, an irrevocable trust can be drafted so that the provisions of the trust allow way more flexibility than the name sort of implies or the, the conclusion that people draw based on the name. So, for example, uh, I could be in charge of who is the trustee. I can change that. I could continue to draw income from the trust if I wanted to. I could change who ultimately gets an inheritance if I wanted to. So if I can change who ultimately gets an inheritance, even though it's an irrevocable trust, if I could change who gets an inheritance and if I can control and change who's the trustee, well, that doesn't that doesn't sound so restrictive anymore. Because if the person uh, that I appoint to be the trustee is not doing what I want them to do and I can just change it and appoint the person another person. Well, you know, that doesn't seem so set in stone anymore. But these are just examples. And I'm not saying that those are things that you should have in your trust. It really depends on what you're trying to accomplish with your trust. But the point is that don't let the the word irrevocable scare you. These tools might be perfect for your situation, depending on what the goals are you're trying to accomplish. If you've got tax objectives, if you've got asset protection objectives, we can walk through that with you. But uh, I want to leave you with the idea that irrevocable trusts can be drafted with flexibility to allow uh, certain decision makers to change and certain investment decisions to change. And, and you can still have some sort of a say in there uh, in how the trust operates, even though most of the time you will be giving up your ability to access the principle of the trust, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to we're trying to accomplish some sort of a tax or asset protection um, a, a goal and to accomplish tax goals or to accomplish protection of the assets, especially from like the nursing home. Look, the general idea is if I can get the money, so can they, right? So if I can have an irrevocable trust, even though I have some vote on how the thing operates, um, if I cannot get the money back out of the trust, well, neither can the guys that are trying to take it from me. And so that's kind of the idea with an irrevocable trust. Now, irrevocable trust can be used in, and can be very tax savvy tools, okay? So uh, when when doing estate planning, there are at least four different taxes that we have to be thinking about, five, six different taxes that we need to be thinking about. So if I'm going to uh, work with a family 
And let's say a family has the goal of, look, I've, I've built a little nest egg. I have a house. I would like for this nest egg and this house to get to my kids. I don't want it to go to the nursing home. I want to be smart about the taxes. Uh, I would like to avoid probate, which seem to be fairly common goals. Um, there's there's about five different taxes we need to think about. I need to think about federal estate tax. I need to think about Pennsylvania's inheritance tax. I need to think about federal income tax. I need to think about state income tax. We've got to think about capital gains tax. We have to think about realty transfer tax. And and so when when you start thinking through all of this, it, it, it is a it's a bit of a maze, right? This is why I it, it drives me nuts when you see these advertisements on TV that just say, come get your free will. Well, look, if it were that complicated, it wouldn't take me 45 seconds to just list the types of trusts you have to, uh, the types of taxes you have to consider in doing an estate plan. It's way more complicated than that. Um, but in any event, we, if you think of a trust, I, I, I think I used this last week, but think of a trust as like a little machine, right? And And there's this machine, and on the outside of the machine, you know, the, the machine is just producing favorable results, right? We're not making widgets. We're making good results. But the idea is on the machine, the levers on the machine on the outside, the buttons and the levers are different things that we can manipulate. We can pull this lever here. We can push these buttons in, in this sequence here. And in doing so, we can shift how the assets in the trust are treated from a tax standpoint or from an asset protection standpoint, right? So we can we can insert paragraphs that say I can have my access to my income or I can take that provision out. I can turn the lever and say I don't want any income. I can say upon my death I want the ability to be able to change the beneficiaries of the trust. But if I'm trying to accomplish certain tax objectives, I might not want that in there. So those are the little levers that we play with. So as we have conversations with our clients, and we get to learn about our clients' goals, and we get to learn about our clients' uh, savings and the types of assets that they own, we start to develop a strategy that, that comes up with the best tax result. Okay, complicated enough, but the point is that I want you to know, we're thinking about all this stuff, really, so you don't have to, but but you you can't, you can't for example, do a plan that incorporates uh, trying to achieve stepped-up tax bases for capital gains purposes, which if you don't know what that means, it really doesn't matter right now, without considering how that impacts Pennsylvania's inheritance tax. Those two things are related. Uh, and the, the levers that we pull on the trust to change the result are related. And so we, we have to think about both of them. If you want to learn more about how we use these tools and whether one is the correct tool for you, uh, you need to come to one of our workshops. So I am hosting workshops in our office in Cranberry Township, about a football throw away from uh, from I-79 at the Cranberry exit. Uh, you can come in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, uh, enjoy uh, me telling a couple of jokes and teaching you about wills and trusts and powers of attorney. Uh, and if you do so, we will invite you back for a free consultation, a one-on-one with one of our lawyers so that you can understand how this stuff all works and how it would apply to you. Um, and so we call that our discovery meeting, and it's free. And, you know, it, it's a it's a good use of your time to come in uh, to determine if this type of planning is right for you. And if, if trusts aren't right for you, uh, then we need to make sure you have a good will and a good power of attorney. And we're going to identify all of that during the meeting and give you your options. Uh, so come to the workshop where you can learn and sit and ask me questions for an hour and a half about how this stuff works, and then uh, we can we can help you make a decision if it's a good idea for you. Now, 
irrevocable trusts, another reason that we use them is because we're trying to protect assets from long-term care expenses. So just real down and dirty, and it's a lot more complicated than this, but if you have uh, a trust and you put your things in that trust and the trust is drafted correctly, which means... Um, which means that at least the following occurs. I cannot have access to the thing again. Okay, so if I put my house into a trust, and I'm trying to use this trust to protect it from the nursing home, and I put my house in there, I put my money in there, that trust has to provide that under no circumstances can Tim, can can I receive the money back from the trust. If I can get the money from the trust, so can they. No judge is going to buy the fact that I can get the money from the trust, I can use the money however I want, whenever I want, but my nursing home can't have my money doesn't work that way. But if you put your asset into a trust for the benefit of someone else, the judges have to infer that that trust is now for the benefit of that person, right? If I put my money into my trust for the benefit of my grandchild or my child, uh, there's no judge that should invade that trust to say, no, Tim can have it back, right? That's not how the world works. That's not how trust law works. And so by putting assets into a trust, we can accomplish the objective of protecting the dollars from someone else while maintaining certain controls over the dollar. We just have to give up access to that dollar. So irrevocable trusts are a fantastic tool. Like I've talked about this a lot, but when people ask me, what is the best way? You know, look, I've worked hard. I've got some savings. I've got a home. What is the best way to protect those things uh, from long-term care expenses. I've read the statistics. I know that there's a significant chance I'm going to have dementia. I know that there's a significant chance that I'm going to have the need for long-term care. And of the people that have the need for long-term care, I know that 20% of them have an extended multiple-year long-term stay in a nursing home. Right? Well, putting all those facts together and, and with the fact that a nursing home, today's dollars, 2021, a nursing home is a little over $11,000 a month, one hundred and thirty grand a year. And if I'm going to need the nursing home 20 years down the road and I can kind of forecast that these costs are only going up, we're talking about the, the need for care being twenty grand a month. Well, holy cow, I can't afford that. My retirement plan isn't contemplating giving up a quarter million dollars a year to the nursing home. What can I do to protect myself? My answer is often you need to consider using a trust. It's the best tool to do it. Um, and we can do it while being being savvy with the taxes and maintaining certain levels of control, but you have to give up access to the money. Another interesting reason that I don't think, as I look back on, on you know, sort of the, the talks that I've done in the past, and I don't think I've, I've, I've made this point as, as big of a deal as I should have because I just had a recent experience that came along uh, and it mattered. And that is that when someone passes away, the assets in their estate, if it's going through the will, or if the assets are in a revocable living trust, those assets are subject to the claims of post-death creditors. So what does that mean? It means that if someone, if the accident that takes my life also takes someone else's and my estate is sued, uh, if it means that on my way out, I have an extended and expensive hospitalization stay. If it means any other creditor issue has come along, some loan I forgot about or, or some loan I co-signed on or whatever the case is, when I pass away, my creditors, the people who think that I owe them money, 
can come after my estate to have those bills paid. However, not so with an irrevocable trust. Now, an irrevocable trust is not a tool to hide from your current creditors. All right? That is a fraudulent transfer. If I have, if I owe somebody a whole bunch of money, I can't just transfer all of my things to an irrevocable trust and say, ha ha, you can't get it now. But for future creditors, creditors that I'm not contemplating right now, creditors I don't know about right now, but at some point in time, let's allow for the fact that I might owe somebody some money because of healthcare expenses. When I pass away, that entity's claims cannot get to an irrevocable trust. The trust code doesn't allow it, which means two things. One, we've protected money from that, not just from the nursing home, but we've protected money from other potential creditors. Second, it also means that under the right circumstances, we might be able to distribute an inheritance to your kids faster, right? Everybody, believe me, everybody that is entitled to an inheritance wants to get their hands on the money as soon as possible. And why don't they? Why wouldn't they? If you've got kids and you're trying to leave the money to the kids or your niece or your nephew or whomever, you, whomever, I would imagine, all else being equal, we would prefer that they get the money quickly rather than slowly. Well, with an irrevocable trust, we can do that. And here's why. If we run your money through an estate, through your will, or through a revocable living trust, those creditors I was just talking about, the people who can come out of the woodwork and come after your things, they have a year to file for their money, which means that the executor of the will or the trustee of the revocable living trust often is advised to sit on the money or to sit on a substantial portion of the money because if you distribute the money and then in month 11, some creditor comes out of the woodwork and says, ah, yeah, you know, the deceased person owed me $200,000 and there isn't $200,000 anymore. The executor could be personally liable for making a distribution too soon because that creditor had a year to claim. So oftentimes we're sitting on the money for a year or we're sitting on a substantial portion of the money for the year because... Uh, because we don't want to expose our executor or trustee to creditors coming after them. But if the money's in, in an irrevocable trust, they don't have a year to file for the claim because they don't get the money anyhow, which means we don't have that concern anymore, which means we might be able to distribute that money a bit faster. Right? So irrevocable trust can result in not only you maintaining control of the money, not only protecting you from the nursing home, not only being tax-savvy tools, they can also keep money protected from your final expense creditors or other creditors uh, that we, we may be worried about down the road sometime. Okay, so so that's really um, sort of a down and dirty. If you want to know more about these trusts, if you want to know more about estate planning generally, look, wills, powers of attorney, revocable trusts, we do all these things in our office. Um, and you know, the tool that you should choose is the one that fits your goals the most. The problem is most people don't ever sit around and think up, you know, about what their goals are. People don't think through this, which is what we're trying to encourage you to do by doing this radio show, by having the workshops, by putting all the content we have on our YouTube channel, by putting all the content that we have on our, uh, on our website. I think there's something like 60 or 70 articles on my website at this point in time. I'm just trying to inform people, these are the things you think you know, these are the things you do know, these are the things you don't know, and these are all the things that you should be considering when determining, uh, you know, one of the biggest decisions you're ever going to make is how am I going to get this stuff to my kids, uh, and how can I keep the other people from getting it? So that's our mission, that's what we're about. 
you should come to the workshop. So we're going to find out about it at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com. And you can go to the workshops tab and you can sign up for one of the workshops. And if you can't get to one of our live ones that are in person or uh, we do have some webinars coming up, you can watch one of our pre-recorded webinars uh, where I recorded uh, one of our our workshops uh, and you uh, you can download it, you can watch it, you can watch it twice, you can show your friends. Uh, you know, you can put it on a big TV, you do whatever you want with it, but I hope you use it to help you make some good decisions. Now I want to shift gears in the final five minutes or so that I have, uh, on this, this week's episode and talk briefly about nursing home crisis planning. We just spent a bunch of time talking about how do you plan ahead? Uh, these trusts are generally used for people who are not sick now and are concerned about what happens if I go to the nursing home in the future. Uh, if you know a loved one in a nursing home now, then the trust may not be the right tool, but there may be some other tools. So here's what I want you to, to take away from this. If you or someone you love or someone you know or is in a nursing home, and I'm talking about a skilled nursing facility, or if you think maybe they're on their way there, or if you think maybe they should be there, but they're not because we can't afford it, I want you to know that there are still things you can do to protect savings even after you have a nursing home admission. In in a lot of cases, we can protect a whole lot of money. Now, lawyers aren't supposed to guarantee. We're not allowed to guarantee money, and I'm not making you a guarantee. I'm just saying in a lot of cases, we can save some real dollars from these long-term care expenses. The Pennsylvania law, the way that the Medicaid rules work, they allow for some planning opportunities where you can protect yourself. And so let me give you an example. Recently met with a married couple. Uh, the the uh, the wife of the couple was in a nursing home and had been in a nursing home for quite some time, and they were paying privately to the tune of ten or eleven thousand dollars a month. And you know, the, the healthy spouse, the husband is writing checks, eleven grand, eleven grand, eleven grand, eleven grand every month for years. Okay. So several hundred thousand dollars have gone out the door to the nursing home. And then we're introduced. And we start talking about the situation. And I say, have you ever consulted with an elder law attorney? And I said, no. You know, we heard that once you're in the nursing home, there's nothing else you can do. I said, well, I'd like to spend some time looking at your case. If you'd like to get together, we offer free consultations for this stuff. So we get together. And I get to know the assets a little bit. And I get to know the situation a little bit, and I get to know the health situation a little bit. And I read the power of attorney, and I do all the things that we need to do. And I realize that there's an opportunity here where I can more than likely get this gentleman's wife eligible for Medicaid, which means that Medicaid is going to pay the nursing home, and they're going to be done paying the nursing home. Uh, At least they're going to be done paying most of what they're paying the nursing home. And we can do it really quickly. We could probably have this lady eligible for Medicaid within a couple of weeks, and the eleven thousand dollar a month bill turns to about fifteen hundred dollars a month. We save them nine grand a month. Um, and I start to explain to him how we're going to do it, which is complicated, and maybe an episode in the future, but it's complicated. And the gentleman is all on board. Yeah, yeah, of course I want to do that. You're going to save me $9,000 a month. Yes, I want to do it. And so we do the work, and and uh, he hires us. And during the, the couple of weeks it takes us to get the work done, having a meeting, and the fellow says, 
Tim, I got a problem. And I said, uh, okay, what is it? And he said, I realized that you're getting my wife almost immediately eligible for Medicaid. And I said, yeah. He goes, now that I understand what you're doing, my problem is I think you probably could have done it two years ago. And I said, yes, sir, we could have. And he said, so I'm out the door with a couple of hundred grand that I spent on this nursing home. And you're telling me that had you employed these techniques that you're using now, you could have saved me that couple of hundred thousand dollars. And I said, yeah, I think we could have. Um, and the look on his face was just sort of shell shock. Uh, and I'm telling this story with his permission because um, I don't want that to happen to you. Don't freeze. If you have someone in a nursing home or if you have someone about to be in a nursing home, you need to reach out. We offer free consultations or you can go to secularlawfirm.com. There is a free downloadable Medicaid guide where we teach you how to uh, how these rules really work. Uh, you can also watch a Medicaid workshop that we have pre-recorded at secularlawfirm.com and go to the workshops tab and we'll teach you how the Medicaid rules really work and you might pick up an idea or two that we might be able to implement to help you save some money. Okay, good enough. That is at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com. Now in this week's episode, we did talk about a lot of technical stuff. We talked about a lot of strategies. I implore you, do not go try to do these things on your own. You will make mistakes. Come check us out. Come talk to us. We're nice folks, and we've got uh, we've got your best interest in mind. SecklerLawFirm.com, S E C H L E R LawFirm.com, or call seven two four eight four one one three nine three. Thanks for listening this week. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.